0: I don't think that it pays to have that pessimistic outlook on whatever it is. If it's something that you have to do, better to do it with a smile, better to do it with a positive outlook, because it still is going to have to happen. Yeah, (laughs) And so you still are going to have to go through it. And so rather than be like, oh, I can't believe or this isn't going to be able to happen or how am I going to make this work? I always kind of take the aspect, the attitude of like, "Okay, so What what needs to happen for this to happen? Yeah. You know, and and somehow it always happens.
1: From ABC, it's no limits. I'm Rebecca Jarvis. And each week we're talking to the most bold and influential women playing at the top of their game, trying to demystify success and what it really takes to get there and all the trade offs. whether you're looking for answers or you just want to hear a good story. You're in the right place. On today's episode, my friend and colleague, Lindsay Davis, she is a two-time Emmy Award-winning journalist who reports as a correspondent for all of our ABC News platforms, World News Tonight with David Muir, Good Morning America, Nightline, and 2020. And now she's adding author to her list of accomplishments with her first children's book, The World is Awake. Lindsay Davis, welcome to No Limits. Thank you so much for having me, Rebecca. I'm really excited about this conversation because we've known each other now. I've been at ABC five years. You've been at ABC now.
0: eleven, almost eleven. Almost eleven years. And I'm only twelve. So.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you, look, oh, you look you look you look great, Lindsay. Thank Always you. looking great. Fishing and now your book, there. no, not at all. And now your your brand new book is coming out. Yes, February 6th. The World is Awake is the name of the book. Uh, I'm looking at it right now. What made you write a children's book?
0: So my son, uh, so my son is now almost four, and when I was reading books to him early on, um, I it kind of reminded me of my own childhood. I was a big fan of Shel Silverstein, Where the yes. Sidewalk Ends, and Dr. Seuss. And then, really, when I was going to books, uh, going to bookstores to look for books for him, I started seeing or not seeing that there were there just weren't enough books that reflected kids that looked like him. And I just feel that that's like still very problematic for, you know, to be in 2018 and to not have that. There's this professor at Ohio State University, Professor Bishop, and she wrote wrote this essay about windows, mirrors and sliding glass doors. And she talks about how essential it is that every children's book has a window and a mirror, a mirror to reflect the child and a window to look out into the world to see the things that they wouldn't see in an everyday situation and how effective a window can be in becoming a sliding glass door, basically transporting a child into this world of um where kids are different and don't necessarily look like them and how in that difference they're able to see their sameness at the same time. And so as I was looking at that and reading into that, I felt like let me be the one, then, to, to make this this book for my son and for other children. I mean, that's yeah. really the, the important thing for everybody, um, you know, for the kids in my class who, you know, my son is often, like, the only black child. And I don't want, for, for the white children and the Asian children, I don't want them to just look at this one child as Aiden, as the different one, right? I mean, I want it to become part of their normal and everyday life, you know, when you see the book and you don't notice that the child is black. You just notice... Kids it's because, a book.
1: Right. How tough was it to write? To, I mean, I, I, I'm looking at one of the lines here. You have a lot of good rhymes.
0: <laughs> did, you, did they just come to you quickly? Um, I played around with them. I knew kind of the arc that of the day and yes. like what i wanted to do and lots I of animals like, you know, lots and of
1: animals who you're a great writer by the way people oh, thank you. I, just just i want to say this because i look at your scripts and you know you can hear your scripts every night on world news and every morning on good morning america you have to be a good writer but you are a great writer so oh, i would you. imagine that coming into this you you thought about that skill set that you already possess and applying it in a new place
0: well i love writing my mom is an english teacher wasn't english she's retired but was an english teacher who from early on would you know i'd say she'd use a word like ominous when i was a child and i'd say well you know what does ominous mean and she'd followed up with like another word that i didn't understand and my dad was (laughs) like you know why don't you just tell her what it means you know and she was like well i want to build her language and so i think i appreciated a uh or had a relationship with words at, a, at an early age, and then you know while you're still able to use it a bit in this craft, I think when you're talking often about um, murdered or missing or you know yeah. whatever it is the the depressing stories. Uh, du jour,
1: and you have done uh, just you know to cut in a little bit, you've you've done your share of those stories all, in in right. just the last six months. Being in Las Vegas, you were at the site of the Boston Marathon bombing in Nairobi, uh, at the mall bombing. You you have covered, I mean, and that's just a tiny slice, right, right. Uh, and and obviously covering all of the the Nasser trial with U.S. gymnastics, um, a lot of the work that you do is very very
0: heavy. Exactly, and that is what made me decide that this would be kind of fun and fresh and. Um, invigorating in a way you know to not talk about and of course I mean those things have to be covered the death and destruction and the depressing kinds of stories you know that's unfortunately often what's going on in in the world Um, and so that those have to be reported but I felt like this was like a a new way to be get my creative juices flowing you know because you don't always have those fun and uplifting stories that, you know every once in a while in good Morning America we get a chance to do that and kind of can be playful with with words and and I wanted it to be you know sometimes i I voice you know I do my stories in front of my son and and I'm not thinking so much about especially like lately what I've been doing and I'm thinking he's too young to get it. But he'll ask me about after, like, what happened to the that little boy? What you know, and so I've I've kind of scared him, you know. And so I, I wanted to just be able to do something that I would be proud to talk about in front of my son. And so it's been really marvelous to actually like, you know, put my son on my lap and, and read um, the book and he he'll say it's his favorite book but it, you know it's really not it's not his favorite it's like he's kind of at four at almost almost four kind of like patting my back like mom it's no, it's a good book that is truly <laughs> the sweetest thing that's so cute that and that has
1: to just fill you with so much pride and joy too
0: it's i i can't my my favorite Part of the day is and often it's too quick and it's rushed because, as you know, the schedule is crazy and and getting home just to make it before he goes to bed. But my favorite part of the day, every day is story time and just getting that that moment to to snuggle and like, you know, sit in the rocking chair and I I, you know, people often say that you have to savor each day because you never know when the child is going to stop wanting to get in your lap. <laughs> right. You know, um, but so it's certainly uh, fun. And and he seems to enjoy the book. So, so we'll see. We'll see other kids reactions soon.
1: I want to talk to you um, in a minute about, I mean, just the idea of you have a four year old son. He is adorable and very Thank sweet. You. But you also have this crazy job that I mean, I see you here at ABC all the time. I know that you're traveling all the time. I know how hard you have to work. So I want to talk about that in a minute. But coming back to the idea of the book, I think there are a lot of people who are listeners who they, they might have that mission statement like you had initially. You felt that there was this need and you had a desire to fill it, but there's a big gap between that feeling that having that mission and actually doing it. What was the thing that really pushed you over the edge and how were you able to then really execute when you? have such a,
0: a demanding job and life family. I think that the main thing is surrounding yourself with people who are, one, really good coaches. So someone, I had a friend who at dinner, and I can remember the moment that this book was truly born, I'd been kind of like just rattling around in my head for a while, you know, like, oh, it would be really good to do this. And this is why it would be needed and, you know, beneficial. And then I had a, a, a dinner with a very good friend of mine who was like, so let's start your book and you know this is (laughs) and what did you think when they said that was it nerve-wracking no i believed i believed him because he's one who's followed his own dreams and so when he said it it was kind of gave myself permission to say to kind of why not speak it let's do this that's right you're right what is keeping me from writing a book all right, so what do I need to do? And it was very... How did you figure out what you need? I'm sure you asked people, but how did you find the right
1: people? Like, for example, somebody who's coming at this as a total novice who may not have any kind of contacts or connections. What are the steps that it takes to get there, to have your book ultimately published and out for the world to consume?
0: I think there are a, uh, a few different avenues, a few different paths that you can take to get the final, the final finished product of, of a published book. Um, For me, it was asking. So fortunately, I mean, you know, here at ABC alone, there are a lot of people who've written books. So it was kind of like, well, how did you do it? How did you do it? And, And so were people forthcoming with information? I thought people were very helpful. I thought people were extremely helpful. I think people were very um, pessimistic in a way, like, oh, it's so difficult to get a book agent. And once you get a book agent, you know, the children's book is such a fat section. And, you know, everybody thinks they can write a children's book. I know a number
1: of people who have children's books in their head. I'm not one of them, but I have a lot of friends who are like, why not? I can write a children's book.
0: I think that that is, first of all, something that once you have kids and you start reading them, you're like, oh, my gosh, this is it. There's nothing some Sometimes. animals some rhymes what <laughs> so it's got to be like the basement level of like everybody can do this right um <laughs> but but so i so i did think that there was a little bit of that like where i was thinking oh well maybe they're right maybe everybody thinks they can write a children's and and a friend of mine well was kind of like oh yeah all my friends got kids that was like the first thing they decided they <laughs> wanted to write a children's book so there was that but i wasn't like going to be deterred from yes. you know from that and so you you face um, down much much harder <laughs> obstacles I, in well, your life i 100% have um and so i i just went right into okay, so I need to get a book agent. That was kind of number one. And at that point in my free time, because I was thinking even though I don't Your have free that much time, free time, right, in yes, quotation marks. but once my son goes to bed and everything, I would start kind of jotting down some ideas and jotting down what I thought was like my book. And, and you know, a children's book, it, while there are a certain number of pages, there are in some cases only a few words on each page. So right. it's not like it's really this exhaustive long thing. Um, and so it wasn't really that difficult. And, and, and once I started focusing on it, it was kind of like a task that like, I want to finish this. And so I had something in mind. And I had a friend who knew an illustrator and so we did something that looked not quite like this. And my husband saw the fir- was the first one. And my husband is a is a harsh critic. So he was like, well, it looks like a greeting card. You know, I don't really think that the illustration is that good. But I kind of wanted to like it. And yeah. so I was like, really you're just being too difficult. <laughs> too and constructive. So, and then I I ran into some other people who felt the same way, like, oh, the illustration seems a little elementary. And so at least I had what it did was it gave me a starting point yeah. to present to said book agent once I would find my book agent. And so um, happened to be at lunch one day, shared the idea with uh, another friend of mine, and he said, well, if you want to get into it, this is the book agent that you need to get. So and she's going to be really difficult. I don't even know if you can get to her, but say that I, you know, give her my name as a as a referral. And so I did. And truth be told, like, I never even talked to another agent. I talked to her over the phone, really liked her. Really like what she had to say. Did you prepare heavily for the conversation, no. or were you just no? <laughs> I think I was like on deadline for world news <laughs> that night, and probably had like I a know ten minute window where you're like, I don't it, even know if I can do this call
1: right now. Right, I'm, um, I'm like anyway. kind of taking emails from people internally because they're saying like we need this exactly. In, yeah.
0: And so awesome. I listened to her. I um, said, you know, I was gonna get back to her and and you know, throw the idea by a few other agents, but I didn't I because I'm not time. No, I didn't Well I I didn't have the time but I, I <laughs> but I really liked her. It was, I would have made meant the time. To be. I would have made the time yeah. if I there was something about her and her voice that I that I trusted and liked. And felt like we would be good partners together. And so from that point, she agreed. She said, you know, I think that, um, you know, she suggested that, that I partner with uh, Joseph Bottom, and who's the poet. And um, and so we kind of refined the words a little bit. We changed the title, kind of freshened it up. And then... Um, she said she would market it uh, around, and, and Zondervan was our first choice, and Zondervan was, like, sold right away. I mean, it was a so What does helpful. Zondervan do in the whole process? Okay, so it's a, a division of HarperCollins, so they're the publishers. And so um, so Zonder Kids really is actually specifically the publisher for the children, like, religious children's books. And so they then um, gave me the options of illustrators and then presented Lucy Fleming as an option, loved her work. And then they kind of decide um, with the illustrator, you know, how the book layout and structure, all of that was out of my hands, which could not have been more fabulous because I didn't have the time to do all of that. Right. Um, and so I appreciate it. Then you autom- automatically have this team and everybody who's they're running ideas by you, yeah. which is I, I'm great at that. Like, I don't want to necessarily have to brainstorm from the beginning to end. But if you give me ideas, I can tell you what I like and what oh, I don't like. This sounds great. <laughs> yes. Sign everybody can write a children's <laughs> book, right? That's the whole point. So um, you
1: you find your amazing agent. You find your publisher. You work with the publisher's team. Right. And how much time goes by between that dinner that you had with right. your friend where you were sold on the idea versus we've got
0: the book out now? Right.
1: So probably a year and a half. How did you come up with the storyline in the first place?
0: So the foundation of the book is Psalm 118.24. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And so the first line in the book is this is the day the Lord has made. But instead it goes like a butterfly floats through the sun in the shade. So it's just really and, and you can see underneath the title it says a celebration of everyday blessings. And so that that's really where we decided to go. It was just kind of like a typical walk through the day from the sunrise to the sunset um, of all of God's handiwork and and the blessings that abound and that are out there that often as adults we take for granted. Um, I think that for me, uh, until I had a son, I really stopped looking at Bunny rabbits, or sun, or, or snowflakes. It wakes or you Sunrises, up. right, right. But they're not things that you really, or you know, you know. Like for to- today, it's it's snowing outside, right? And so you might think, oh gosh, what a headache! It's going to be a longer commute in. But my son is out there with his mitt, and like, look at the snowflake, you know. And really, when you take time to look at snowflakes, it's like, wow, yeah, that is pretty miraculous. Look at that, and you, and you can marvel at it. And and so I think that they can help us see with better eyes when you look through a child's excitement at the world and. And how alive uh, the world is and the illustration probably took the longest time um, there's a lot of space a lot of you know between the, the beginning and the end that where uh, you're not really actively doing much of anything at least from my perspective um, now it becomes like a big you know with the uh, surrounding the promotion and, and release date then it becomes like a really busy busy time yeah
1: now you're basically on the road Talking to people, promoting the book. Right,
0: soon to be. But then that's where, you know, I still have my day job. Yeah. You know, I was in Lansing, Michigan all week um, uh, with with the the Larry Nassar uh, sentencing hearing. Uh, so it's uh, how are you, know, you gonna
1: do this, Lindsay? Uh,
0: you know it's uh, there are lunch breaks and <laughs> you know and cell phones and and iPads and, and all of Will that your and, son Aiden be traveling with you. No, a, no, no Does and I'm not ever, gonna do you th- ever take him with you when you're traveling for a story or something like that? Well, when uh, there's a local story that breaks on Fridays, He's with me, and it's really crazy the things that I've taken him. I, I actually have a picture uh, with the truck up, and photographer, and sound man when we were at. Or it's a really sad. It was a there was a fatality, and it was a really sad story um, that I, I I won't even share because people are going to be like, "You took your son," like, but he didn't. He was maybe like eight or seven months old but on Fridays I always try and have it be a day that I work from home when I can and and we give like the woman who normally watches him off on Friday so when I get that call um I do have a plan b if I Mm -hmm. if I if it was like I needed to get on a plane or something then obviously I would I would have a, a plan in in action but I like to keep him with me. And so he's been to some really crazy things that he, you know, for him, and I have some really great pictures that we've captured, you know, the producers have been on live on a scene with me where he's like sitting in the case in Times Square as we're talking about like some terror plot or something. And, <laughs> and he's just like there like do to do or like, you know, watch it on a cell on a cell phone playing a game. He it's just like part for him of. Of of what I do, take your child to work day, right? And and it was funny because just maybe two weeks ago, I had rushed back from uh, Mexico City, and I had to be back, and actually had to kind of cut the the story short. And people at that moment, the the shoot had kind of run a little bit long, and so they were like, "Well, can't you just fly back tomorrow?" And I was like, "No, I can't." And I didn't really think anybody would understand, but I I. promised my son that I was going to be back to talk to his class of three-year-olds, the junior pre-K, um, about the book and what I do for a living. And so all the different parents were coming in to talk about what they do. And so I just didn't want to disappoint my son. And, um, and so we made it back and talked to him about it, and, and and so it was cute. So we had the kids come up and they pretended to hold microphones, and my son got up and talked about Spider Man, and they did live reports is what they were doing into their microphones, and so he talked to them about what I do as far as he knows. I mean, he he said I work at ABC and I'm on TV, and uh, and he knew the title of the book, and then that was uh, that, <laughs> well We were done. good. We were good. Yeah. We were good. So uh, so it's it's as any as any uh working mom knows I mean it's a it's a, a big juggling um it's you learn how to multitask yeah. better than you ever have before you seem just from hearing you talk about it you just seem to have like such a good attitude
1: about it I don't know I mean i, I did, did that is that just who you are or has that evolved over time
0: I think a lot of uh moms you know you just it's something that you just just like anything else it's not even being a mom it's just like whatever the task is at hand right um you just i don't think that it pays to have that pessimistic outlook on whatever it is if it's something that you have to do better to do it with a smile better to do it with a positive outlook because it still is going to have to happen yeah <laughs> and so you still are going to have to go through it. and so rather than be like oh i can't believe or this isn't going to be able to happen or how am i going to make this work i always kind of take the aspect the attitude of like okay so what what needs to happen for this to happen yeah you know and and somehow it always happens and i think that par, uh Partially due to what we do for a living, where every day there's a deadline. I mean, there are a few, maybe uh, surgeons, uh, maybe. I mean, there are a few, I think, occupations out there that have just every day, maybe those three deadlines like we have, where a minute too late is too late. Yeah. Um, and so I think that you become very good at managing your time just based on the profession that we're in. So you got your start. You you grew up, as a, as a little kid, you were... Uh, so I grew up in New Jersey with uh, mom, dad, and older sister. And went to University of Virginia. So you you went
1: to UVA, (laughs) just like our producer, Taylor Dunn, which we point out anytime anyone comes here (laughs) that went to UVA. She's cheering in the other room. Um, So you studied there. You studied psychology. Yes. And then did you practice anything post-graduation or did you go
0: straight to NYU? Um, So I was one of those people who didn't decide what I wanted to do until it was too late. And so I think I was my uh, third year, maybe second semester, first or second semester when I decided I want to go into journalism. But UVA at the time did not have a mass communications program. However, I didn't want to have to transfer schools or, you know, graduate later. And I hadn't done uh, the necessary, I hadn't done any internships. And so that was really problematic. And so I then essentially, you know, uh, my parents paid, I guess, like a $50,000 internship opportunity, right? I mean, like I went to NYU strictly so that I can get an internship because I don't know if it's still structured the same way. But at that time, um, you had, you could only get an internship for college credit. Like, you couldn't right. just say, I'll work for free. Things are changing now, because there's some the laws case. that have changed okay. around that since okay. then.
1: But I understand what you're saying. Most most places in journalism at that time would not pay you for the internship. Right. And, I and think you that's couldn't even still, do it for free. Right. I mean, because, I, because of the legalities around, like, you have to get credit, college right. credit for right. it. Um, and that still comes up, I think, in some cases. But there's there's been laws that have been passed since then that people have to be compensated for their time.
0: Got it. I mean, it makes sense. But I think it's better now uh, that you may not have to and that you can get paid. Most internships, I think, now in this business are paid. Um, What was the
1: first internship you did?
0: So WNBC... I interned in their digital, which at the time was like next to nothing. I mean, digital really—we've seen like how that has just taken off now. But this is going back to maybe 2000, so um, like 18 years ago. So it was very—it was very uh, archaic. Like you know, it was just like typing the very basic news story that happened. Certainly, this wasn't like something that was going to pop up on your cell phone or anything like that. But you didn't really have one to, for it to pop right, up. Right, exactly. On. That's right. There was no screen. <laughs> <laughs> there was no screen. Um, you would know all about that when that happened. But um, so so I, I went right to NYU and then fortunately then got my first job in Syracuse, New York. And I kind of did a lot of uh, hopping, hopscotching around. I worked at CBS in Syracuse. Then, uh, let's see, uh, uh, ABC in Flint, Michigan, and then NBC in Indianapolis and then came here.
1: And how were you handling that at an early stage? Did you have an agent in the very beginning?
0: No. So I didn't get an agent until I was trying to come here, until I was trying to come to the network. And I had this goal in mind that by the time, for whatever reason, I had, these, I had set these just like benchmarks for myself. By the time I was 25, I wanted to be in a top 25 market. So I got into the 25th market. <laughs> And then, what is the 25th market? So at the time, it was Indianapolis. I don't know what it is now, but at the time, it was Indianapolis. And so, when you know. did you set
1: the goal that at 25, you wanted to be in the top 25? So
0: I guess it, it must have been, I was probably like 23. Got it. And so, yeah, so by the time I was, I don't know where I got that from. <laughs> I was like, and then I just like nailed it right on 25. Yes. Then I wanted to be at the network by 30. And so right, uh, right before, I, I did. I, I was like twenty nine and a half when I when I got here. But I got an agent like right before that to make sure that I was going to deliver on that.
1: Uh. And how did you make that transition to the network? How did how did the whole thing come to be?
0: Well, I work, you know, as far as how did I get the job? Yeah. Or, um, how did you for,
1: how did you get on their radar in the beginning or or do, were you reaching out? Was your agent reaching out?
0: So back then, I'm now going to really date myself with VHS cassette tapes, right? And so you would make those of your your real and your best uh, best work. And so I would kind of send those out. But um, NABJ, which is National National Association of Black Journalists, has a convention and happened to have one in Indianapolis. And there was a woman, unbeknownst to me, who worked here uh, at the network who lived or visited part-time, I guess, visited her brother who lived in Indianapolis. So she would see me. I anchored at the time the weekend news and would see me and apparently had mentioned something to one of the women who was in the hiring and recruiting here. And so I met up with them when I was uh, in uh, Indianapolis at the convention and then they said, hey, you know, why don't we have you come to New York at some point? And I was still under contract uh, in 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 Indianapolis, and they made it very casual, and they didn't even say they had a job opening. So I just kind of came and met with a bunch of people and really was thinking that this was just to keep me in mind for down the road when they had an opening and when it would work out perfectly in line with my contract being open. And uh, then that night, they called my agent and said, uh, we want to offer Lindsay a job. And I uh, I was at my parents' house, and I jumped up like in a cartoon and kicked my heels. <laughs> and then got very down because I was still in the midst of a contract. So I had a great offer, but then had a lot of work to do in order to try and figure out because the 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 boss that I had at that time was not... Willing to just let me go. Oh,
1: my gosh. So, yeah. So for people who uh, aren't familiar with this in our business, we have these contracts. And oftentimes the contracts are very ironclad They're for a certain amount of time. And they have things called non-compete agreements a lot of the time so that if you even get offered a job outside of the company where you currently work, you can't go take that job in many cases for another six months if you decide to go take another job.
0: Exactly. So how did it work itself out? So it was very complicated and hairy and uh, <laughs> required a lawyer. And, and it was a uh, very it was a really tough period. That is tough. It's really tough. Period. You've worked so hard at this point
1: to. um not burn bridges to right. cr- develop relationships. You
0: want to be true to your word, but you also don't want to pass up the greatest opportunity of your life. Exactly. And, you know, it's very rare when everything aligns just right, where yeah. there's that job opening at the place that you want to go and you're released from your contract at the place that you're leaving or currently in. And so uh so then I just have to say it was a matter of God intervening and really worked it out. I mean, you have now covered so many major events,
1: something that we didn't even touch on, the Lil Wayne interview. Lil Wayne. How did that? So so just tell the audience a little bit about what happened there and what you were thinking seeing all of it take place
0: so little wayne um and and i'm actually a fit, you know i i did an, a radio interview shortly after i interviewed little wayne and they said oh so i guess you're never going to listen to his music it's banned you know and i i have to say i still listen to little wayne every once in a while he's a very talented lyricist and so i don't have anything bad to say about him um in that way um So we did an interview with Lil Wayne and we covered a number of topics. I thought it was actually a pretty fascinating interview with just his thoughts on at the time um, it was the uh, run up to the election. So his thoughts on at the time uh, the Access Hollywood tape had just been leaked or put out there. Um, And so his thoughts on Trump, I mean, he had really... Interesting commentary and his views on life were, were really kind of fascinating, I thought. Um, and everything was going swimmingly, Rebecca, until uh, the last question, which was about Black Lives Matter and his thoughts on Black Lives Matter, because he had kind of he had run into a little bit of a gotten a little backlash when he had been on uh, a sports radio show or TV show talking about Black Lives Matter prior. And so it was just kind of asking, you know, follow a up. Follow up and he um became really upset about it and but still answered the question and basically was saying he didn't understand first he said he didn't know what it was um he didn't know what black lives matter he was he said that he didn't know what black lives matter was uh, which then when we later went back he had said it even on stage at a concert and so it, you know it was he did really know but then he was proceeded he proceeded to say that um, you know, his life matters and that's what's important and, you know, the fact that he has so much money and so his life matters, um, which may be true, uh, that when you accrue a certain amount of wealth that your life becomes in some people's minds more valuable than others, but there was a uh, a disconnect, there was an inability for him to, especially growing up where he grew up in Hollygrove and, and. Uh, not being able to uh, be sensitive to the plight of black people who at the time, I mean, this was, again, like during this this time of the interview, um, there had been several months of black people who were shot and killed by police when there was a question about why they were shot. Um, and so there was an indifference uh, that he had uh, with regard to the whole matter. And um, so it ended up not going so all of a sudden it would just turn left and um he had some very not so nice things to say um about me and what you know, were whatever. you thinking during all of this. well, I just thought, yeah, you know, I didn't take it personally. I wasn't even like uh, mad or offended. I think it's just like, uh you just there are certain people that you kind of feel like they have their own thoughts and way of expressing themselves and it's not necessarily how you would express yourself but i just felt kind of bad for him that he he felt he needed to you know become derogatory or about me or or say you know negative things about me um but i just listened (laughs) I listened, and you know, at times even nodded. Like I mean, that was his perspective and where where he was coming from at that time. Um, I just, you know, I think that when when you do this for as long as we have. You just you take the good with the bad. And and, and at a certain point, I mean, certainly there are things that still get to you. But for the most part, I think that there is something if you know it's not true about yourself and someone is saying this thing, you you can kind of have a tough skin and just say, okay, you know, that's your opinion.
1: (laughs) What for you has been the toughest lesson along the way?
0: I think especially in this environment, um, every day you just have to triple check. Your facts. You just have to um, be so sure that what you're reporting is accurate. There's almost a
1: skepticism that you need to employ consistently. Yes.
0: Um, And, you know, uh, Taylor and I uh, were just talking about uh, going to UVA together and the Rolling Stone. Um, whole controversy with the the rape was the girl raped or was she not by the guys in the fraternity and since we both went to uva i mean it was a very personal story and we were just talking about how the journalist there maybe hadn't done her due diligence and when the subject said oh well my friends would be able to say it, but they don't want to talk about it and so she didn't even call the friends and maybe as a journalist, sometimes maybe you would say, oh, well, I have to trust the subject and they don't want to talk. But but then you have to think again and say, well, let me just make sure I've dotted the I and and just call them anyway, even and I'll leave a voicemail and they'll never call me back. But at least I've done that. And I think that now um, it's more important than ever that you just have to make sure that um, that you're not thrown into that. Uh, that fake news category. I mean, because there are so many people looking to put you into that. And uh, and so I think it's just a matter now of just being so sure um, in a way that I think that before there was a little bit of leeway, I don't think that that leeway is really there anymore.
1: And the question that I ask everyone, the worst advice that you've received along the way.
0: Oh, man, the worst advice. Um, well, you know what? I think that I don't know if someone actually ever told me this, uh, but it was a mindset that I had, um, which was just to kind of, um, well, well, you know, it's like the the Hamilton uh, play. What was it like? Smile more uh, was was one of the lines, and and I think that um, sometimes people. Uh, don't value um, how important it is to be nice to people. And I think that that can really go far um, in your career. I think that there are a lot of people who are at the top here who are not very nice people, but I think for me, um, what has helped me uh, in a number of situations is just, you know, saying thank you or, you know, just having a certain amount of of respect for for people who are working around you and with you in any capacity. And I think that there was an idea around, a lot of people initially, when I when I first kind of especially got to the network, there were people who, you know, they, they talk about like the brown nosers and the people who are just like, are all about like the relationships and everything. And, and that's something, and I've, I've talked to you about that before, that I'm just like not good at. I, I mean, I need to be better um, something I'm still trying to stretch myself, but I think that in the same in the same vein, while I'm not necessarily that good at that, I think that I do value people, and mm-hmm. I think that that can, you know, I don't know how far it takes you, mm-hmm. but I think that it, at the end, um, there's something to be said for it, and so uh, you so value I, people in a genuine way, and and I right, I, I because I I really do, I I, I know, um, I see it, I know it, I'm I'm glad to I'm glad to know that it's. it's it's recognized but um i don't know in the end of the at the end of the day i feel better about where i am and maybe i haven't climbed the highest in the the career that i i would have maybe if i had had uh you know developed more of the relationships but um yeah again i'm still working on that but i but i see a lot of people who only value the relationships and they don't value the people and i think that it could be flipped around uh to work a little bit differently.
1: I completely agree with that. And I also think to that point, um, those the people who are focused solely on the politics of the moment, in my experience, feel the emptiness. Mm. And right. and that right. to me is not success. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not the right. success that I personally right. want. And. Um, the, you talking about the genuine relationships that you've developed, um, those are part of what fulfills. Like having the title and the things and the great, great things that you've experienced, your incredible achievements, that's great. But
0: if all the other things don't exist, I don't think you would feel fulfilled. Right. By it. Exactly. And that's what's so important is is feeling fulfilled. You know, I mean, and, and just like back to the book, just for one nanosecond. Yes. I am already satisfied with the book. I would of course I'd like for it to sell and, and become, you know, uh, something that people desire to have for their children, but I'm already satisfied with it just because it exists. And just if my son enjoys it and, and the two of us can then have that just bond of you know, reading my book to him, I'm already my cup is already filled. You know, and so I don't want to, you know, I, I, of course, I'd like to sell books, but I really already feel like happy and fulfilled and satisfied. That is awesome. Well, the book is called The World
1: is Awake. And I definitely think that people should be buying this book because it is a beautiful book and there's a beautiful person behind it, Lindsay Davis, Inside and Out. Thank you so much for joining us on No Limits.
0: Thank you for having me, Rebecca. I I, and I just want to, as a side note, just say thank you for, whether on air or off air, behind the scenes, always just being like such a friend and good listener and support. Um, I, I so appreciate you. Likewise. Thanks. Genuinely. Thanks.
1: And now it's time for our No Limits Entrepreneur of the Week, where we feature one of our listeners who's building something of her own. And our No Limits Entrepreneur this week is Amelia Darren. She is the CEO and founder Of Amelia Rose design. Amelia grew up in Greenwich, Connecticut. She attended Trinity College and then went on to Suffolk University Law School. She says she grew up with the entrepreneurial spirit and started her first business in high school, making chocolate covered fruit platters with her close girlfriend. She also watched her older brother purchase and then successfully manage and grow a boys summer camp, which inspired her desire to create a business. Amelia was corporate counsel for a major engineering consulting firm at the time she was about to launch her brand, Amelia Rose. She says her days were filled with what felt like nonstop 50-plus page contracts and what she likes to call professional arguing. She says that the intense and at times unpleasant legal work led her to daydream and imagine what else she could be doing with her time. She says that with jewelry design, there's a gratification of illustrating an idea into something tangible. And that, combined with monetizing and scaling the creative component into a financially successful company, Amelia says, is nothing short of exhilarating. Before leaving her job, Amelia had a skeleton of a business plan in place, one main supplier, and a long list of jewelry designers she contacted for help. She says that over the years, she's come to learn and realize the barriers to entry in jewelry design are so low and success in the industry is rare and therefore competitive. So she had to learn that collaboration and sharing of resources is greatly limited. Amelia was able to launch her company in 2007 with $40,000 of her own savings. Today, she says that they have business lines of credit with suppliers, which she says is especially helpful when going to production on large orders. One of the biggest obstacles for the company, Amelia says, was managing logistics and shipping. Once they reached the point of having too much business to handle in-house, she says they had to decide whether to expand or to outsource. Amelia says that eventually outsourcing shipping and logistics allowed for more focus on sales. She says that when orders come in, now they physically don't see or touch them unless intervention is needed. And that allows her and her staff to remain focused on design, marketing and supplier relationships. If she could go back in time and give herself advice, she says she would tell herself to hire an assistant. Don't think twice. She says that when you're starting a business, you have no idea what you're doing. And trying to do it all yourself leads to exhaustion and a lot of tire spinning. Looking back, Amelia says when she just launched and was physically doing it all, had she hired help to do tasks that are easy to delegate, it would have freed her up to focus more on the parts of the business involved in long-term growth. That is great advice, Amelia, and congratulations on being named one of our No Limits Entrepreneurs of the Week. I wish you and your team at Amelia Rose Design, which, by the way, you will see a lot of on Good Morning America. Robin Roberts loves to wear the earrings, as do I and a number of my other colleagues here at ABC. So thank you to you and continued success to your business. Remember, if you or someone you know should be featured here on No Limits as an Entrepreneur of the Week, send me your nominations to No Limits with RJ Podcast at gmail.com. I love hearing from all of you and reading your stories, so keep it coming. Thank you to all of you who have sent in stories Stories, ideas, things that you're building in your own worlds. We really love reading about it here at No Limits, and it means so much to hear from all of you. It also means so much when we hear from you in our Reviews section. So don't be shy. Leave us a review. It's the way that people help find out about the podcast. If you haven't subscribed already and you're enjoying the content, please do subscribe. I also want to give a shout out to the team here that helps make this happen week after week. Our producer Taylor Dunn, our editor Michelle Bancardo, our research assistant Annie Osakwe, and the rest of the team here at ABC Radio, Elizabeth Russo, David Rind, Josh Cohan, Andrew Kelp, and Steve Jones. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks.